Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9. They can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV series and the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight we are covering episodes 10 and 11 of Witchblade, which I thought was the end of the show, but the show has one extra episode compared to the first season, which only had 11 episodes, unless they're counting the, pie, the, the made-for-TV movie, but that might be why the order is the way it is. I'm not really sure, as we weren't able to get anybody from the show on the podcast with us. But I digress. We're going to start with the first episode, first of these two episodes, Parabolic, which I didn't know what the heck that means. I'm going to look up right now while Mr. Zeneca has the plot synopsis for us. Sure. Uh, season 2, episode 10, Parabolic. A link to unusual circumstances <laughs> and the mysterious tattoos on the murder victims lead Sarah and Jake to investigate other hate crimes that have been interrupted but are occurring across the city. It has become apparent that a vigilante is trying to thwart the efforts of the hate crime perps. Sarah goes undercover to find out more about the tattoos that are traced to the Lupo organization and its mysterious leader. But when her disguise is blown, she must use the Witchblade to escape. So you said it correctly, I guess, because according to uh, Dictionary.com, the A is highlighted, uh, even though it's an O in the word, it's parabolic. Parabolic, yes. Parabolic, parabolic, like you said it. I said it with an O, because it (laughs) has has an O, and it means of or like a parabola or part of one, of or expressing in parables. 
Yeah, so a parable is basically a fictitious story with a moral attitude or some sort of religious uh, connotation. Right, so which makes this, sense. In this episode, the parable that they're speaking of is Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, yes, because they're white men in sheep's clothing, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, I guess yeah, that's supposed to be the there's metaphor There's a lot of connections, it. but they're all very loose. Um. The uh, person in the episode who plays our Little Red Riding Hood, who plays Bola, uh, at least in the uh, younger version of her, is Alexis Dezenia. She is, um, let's see, it says she got her first role at the age of 17 years old, but I'm like, I don't think she looks yeah. 17 in this episode. But she, this is she her looks first. a little younger in this episode, but that was her first role according to IMDb, yeah. 2002. And she worked up till 2017, so she worked sporadically, kind of like when she wants. She was on Entourage as Ashley, but I never watched Entourage. Um, so it would be interesting to see how she was portrayed on that show. The big star of the show is, uh, or this episode, is Eric Roberts, uh, best known as the brother of Julia Roberts most of the time. <laughs> but he does have his own career. Um, he was and it's in, a he, very large career at that. Correct. Uh, and he has been a guest on Radio of Horror back in 2013. He was a guest on the show. Yeah, but his he, career starts in 1964 with a TV series called Another World. Um, but he actually has 120 credits that are just self-credits. So as going on something as himself, 120 things. So his career is long. If you look at IMDb, he has over 50 productions that haven't actually been released to the public but are in various stages of production or post-production. He's kind of a that-guy actor, but I think he's definitely been in the, the zeitgeist longer than his sister. But uh, being uh, related to such a famous uh, woman probably also influenced his career a lot in very good ways. Um, he, of course, has had some mainstream roles before, like he was um, Maroney, the crime boss in The Dark Knight, a famous Batman crime character that has been in and out of the Batman mythos for a number of years. Uh, he was, of course, in The Expendables in 2010, but it just his career is long and vast. I don't remember the production he came on my show for. I think it was a direct-to-DVD horror movie. His name does, unfortunately, show up a lot in the direct-to-DVD garbage bins, so I wouldn't say everything he does is a highlight, but it's yes. amazing that he, he definitely has a name, he has a face, he has a voice. And that has seriously probably helped his career a lot, whether they're good or bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he, but I digress. He was actually he was actually on uh, another show that we covered, uh, Spawn. Right. Yeah, Who he was, was he on Todd McFarlane's Spawn as Petey in the episode The Mind Killer in oh, 1999. Okay, so okay, I was going to say was he a main character on that show? So, guys burn down a restaurant and then get gunned down. Uh, the name of the restaurant is Tempo Chinese. Is this a real Chinese restaurant in New York City? I did not look that up that fast. <laughs> okay. Tempo, Tempo, nothing comes up. So, not a real restaurant. Gabriel is documenting a case. And so we switch back and forth through the episode between how it shot for the... Like normally, with cinematographer, cinematography, and then shot with Gabriel's handy cam. Yeah, and there really seems to be no purpose for this other than to kind of do some cool, hey, look at me stuff. Uh, there's no reason for Gabriel to really be wanting to be an aspiring filmmaker, but there he is. Yeah, the 
doesn't really seem to come up for any other episode, but whatever. Uh, Sarah decides to visit a prisoner in Rikers Island. Now, I want to point out that when she says this, they've already cut to Rikers, and then she's still talking. Like, they should still be filming in the office before they cut to Rikers, because the voiceover shot of the gates to Rikers Island with Sarah saying it don't make any sense in the context of the entire show that never happens. Yeah, it's a a little choppy there. That's a bad edit on the editing part, just pointing that out. The tattoo that's on both uh, the person that she visits, uh, his back, and also both of the uh, hate crime perps uh, that were gunned down have this tattoo of a little wolf head on the back of the neck with red ink. Yes, hence the wolves in sheep clothing, uh, white men, wolves, that whole kind of analogy is currently very prominent uh Nottingham surprises Sarah with a dog that you know would shock and scare her like a wolf would um you know Nottingham does not strike me as being kind of a racist or whatever but I felt like you know the involvement between him and these people was you know very much there um Sarah going to this whole thing she doesn't get very far into it but she does the fake ink thing and they scan it and realize that she's a phony I thought they were going to go further with this like she was going to be like deep undercover for a little bit longer but she doesn't even get past the front gate to witness their you know clan um Trump rally uh yeah no uh she gets checked out by the first guard gets waved in, he warns the second guard, and then she's surrounded. And then the little red riding hood, Bola, actually jumps in to save her. Uh, in a previous scene, she chased Bola and, uh, you know, it has like uh, a book that she was writing her entire life. And seems that Bola is much, much older than she looks. Sarah to walk in a speech like this. Well, Sarah is able to convince the girl to come home with her, even though she, you know, pulls a gun on her. Um, It's a cute little, like, this is my little girl sidekick, even though this character is apparently, like, 100 years old or something like that? Over 100 years old. Uh, It seemed that she was actually a couple hundred years old due to the flashbacks that we see as uh, Bola's going through her traumatic experiences. And Gabriel, his information that he adds to the episode is to translate this ancient Bulgarian journal that she keeps. Yeah, so she's definitely several hundred years old, and from the context of this episode, it seems that uh, there's some sort of magic revolving around hating someone, and that is what is keeping her alive. Because as soon as the, the at the very end of the episode, as soon as the evil has been vanquished, the Lupo leader has been killed, uh, everything is, is going well, her, her vengeance has been carried off, she dies, and then changes back into her old lady form. I thought it was funny how uh, Gabriel could speak her language. Well, remember, he had a Bulgarian girlfriend. Right. So, of course he speaks Bulgarian. Um, well, having to be in a, a choir of antiques, he probably has to learn a lot of languages, and that's not just to get women into bed with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd have to learn as many of the old dead languages as possible to find out whether his artifacts are legitimate and what the translations are, etc., He's a very brilliant uh, guy, even though he's kind of an amateur uh, director <laughs> or cinematographer, I guess you'd call it, in this episode. Lazar makes his appearance as the ice cream man for the episode. And is that not creepy or what? A little bit. Um, I'm curious <laughs> if we're going to get to the final episode, he, we, he'll, uh, his story will come out because I, it hasn't quite yet. So the head of the Lupo organization 
uh, he seems to be the one that Bola is actually following through the ages. And in her journal, she catalogs the tracking, his movements, and where he's going. And he has been setting up hate groups everywhere he's gone. So his influence is regarding hate specifically, and that's what powers it. All of the people that we see die, that Bola shoots to death, are people committing hate crimes. Uh, there was one uh, gay couple that was broken up, and then one of the members thrown over the bridge, and Bola saves the other one from being killed. So she's, as far as he's concerned, the best vigilante ever because she saved his life. And Sarah has this kind of a mixed feeling about it because she's supposed to arrest this kid, yet she feels like protecting this child even when she sees with her own eyes that she is not actually a child i guess in this parable you'd say that she's both the grandmother and the granddaughter in the situation did you notice the shot where the witchblade completely disappears from one shot to the next like they forgot to put it back on her to reset the shot oh because they did the cg on the witchblade correct yeah Somebody wasn't watching the editing uh, during the the, uh, the dailies for that for that uh, for that shot, or they were behind schedule, maybe, or maybe there was conflicts in some other way uh, mm-hmm. that they couldn't go, they couldn't have her back on set to redo it all over again. Because sometimes they could just do the pickup of the shot again with no problem, and sometimes uh, they can't. It all depends on how on track they are, um, and who's directing it. Who knows? I mean, there are many different factors behind why uh, goofs happen on shows. Yeah. Uh, I actually really didn't like this episode. I mean, I I thought Bola was okay, but being that this is a semi-retelling of the Little Red Riding Hood story, I was just kind of like the JFK episode. Really? Really? We're going to do this? Uh, It reminded me of Hannah in a lot of ways, uh, which is a movie and now uh, two seasons of a TV series on Amazon. Basically the exact same thing. Mm. Have you seen that show or the movie? I have not. Have you seen the movie? No. She's a uh, woman, she's a little girl who lives in the woods with her father, who's like this ex-Marine, and she's trained to be like, you know, the ultimate assassin hunter kind of person, but she's a little girl. And now there's two seasons of a show on Amazon Prime. The second season actually just debuted. Uh, From Mm. what I remember the movie being very good, I have not watched the show. Mm, Okay. Just another freaking show to get into, and I'm like trying to get caught up on stuff before something returns, which I know is not much considering everything got pushed back because of COVID. Um, I'm very excited because uh, I do a Supernatural show. Eric Kripke's second season of his show, uh, The Boys, is coming back. And that is by far one of the best shows on television, streaming, whatever, right now. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I have read a portion of the comic, though. Oh, boy. So the comic book is insanely graphically... Like, you think Witchblade, the comic book, is titillating a lot of times? Oh, no, it's completely mas- uh, misogynistic, the boys, just completely, all it, over the place. They don't even, Witchblade doesn't even fucking come close to how bad the boys are. I mean, yeah. you have, what happens to uh, Golden Girl Christian, what's her name, is nothing compared to what happens to her in the in the comic book. <laughs> oh, my God. They they definitely take stuff from, like, volume, like, let's say, three of the comic book and throw it into season one. And the characters all don't really resemble themselves in the comic book, but, but that's that's fine. Uh, it recently just came back. Uh, Garth Ennis has returned the boys to comics, uh, set 15 years after the events of the last one. Mm, and okay. it revolves around the upcoming marriage of 
uh, golden Christian girl, what's her name, and our main character. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. But the, uh, I love what's going to happen in season two uh, with Homelander and the, the revelation of the kid. And also, like, there's a new team member joined. And I don't remember the actress's name, but the costume she's in is just it, – it's so hot. And she's, <laughs> she is basically everything that Homelander is not, but mixed in with a whole lot of the shit you hate going on in America right now. Okay. <laughs> she is basically – like like Homelander portrays himself as Captain America, but behind the scenes he is a he is he is the villain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she portrays herself as like the opposite in the political spectrum to Homelander, but behind the scenes she is worse than him. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and she's got like a black and purple costume, and it's like from neck to toe. There's nothing revealing <laughs> about it, but it looks amazing on the actress. You know. <laughs> So nice. the color scheme also not being there because Homelander dresses himself in the flag. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, check out the boys if you're a big fan of uh, Supernatural and Garth Ennis, a dark freaking comics. So. Yeah, very uh, dark. We're going to take a quick break and come back with the next episode on the Dead TV Podcast. I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Why are we at the mall? Listen, we just spent an entire season hanging out at Quick Stop on the Jay and Silent Bob Minute, and I thought we could use some new scenery. But why the mall? It has everything we need. A cookie stand, a magic eye poster, and Stan Lee. It would be better if Batman was here. Ben Affleck is here. (sighs) I guess that's close enough. If you've enjoyed this witty banner, please join us this season on Jay and Silent Bob Minute as we discuss Kevin Smith's mall rats. Snoochie boochies. We will figure out why this original opening exists, why Shannon Doherty keeps changing outfits, and why that kid is back on the escalator again. So join us for all the chocolate-covered pretzels you can eat. On Jane Silent Bob Minute on Dueling Genre. means a lot of you have been breaking the first two rules of Fight Club. Man, I see in Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who've ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see squandered. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. We're very, very pissed off. On television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. 
And that speech is Tyler Durden's speech from uh, David Fincher's movie Fight Club, which is indicative of this episode. <laughs> Indeed it is. Uh, Palindrome, Season 2, Episode 11, originally aired August 19, 2002. Jake and Danny go undercover, posing as hot-headed fighters to investigate the murder of a young man who is in an underground bare-knuckle fight club. But the deadly game becomes complicated when Sarah's long-lost love, Concobar, steps into the ring. In a bizarre twist of fate, Sarah finds herself falling in love with him, despite having never met him before in this alternative reality, and thus risks everything, including the Witchblade, to save her lover and bring the killer to justice. So a palindrome, if no one knows is when something both begins and ends the same. So a word, numbers, etc. So like the word taco cat, it, both reading it backwards and forwards, it is the same. Mm, do you think they eat taco cats in China? <laughs> I don't wah, think so. <laughs> wah, I know, it's a bad joke. But anyway, so in the episode, we have Conkabar finally comes back and once again proves why you should never date anybody who bears the witchblade. Just pointing that out. Um, the ringleader in this episode is played by Joel Marsh Garland, um, and he looks like he plays badasses, Nazi Trump supporters in almost everything he's in. I'm not even joking. I'm not even trying to make that joke, okay, because he's in a movie called The Believer, and it has a Jewish star David and the swastika next to it, and he plays a neo-Nazi in it. Um, but uh, you might remember him as the pool guy from Lady in the Water, if you've ever seen that movie. I have. Yeah. I have. And this guy actually also reminds me of a friend of mine uh, that I know, Draven. He had the same type of attitude, the same MC style, like, you know, with the exception of being kind of an, this this character being kind of an asshole, um, it totally reminded me of my friend. It was It was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen it in a little while, but I'll probably go back and watch it now because I haven't seen it in a little while. But, uh, uh, oh, I almost forgot. He was recently in um, The Grudge. He was Detective Greco. And I mean The Grudge that came out seven months ago. Currently oh, the new the, one. The new one, which is The Grudge 4, which uh relevant that uh, Netflix now is Juon Origins, a Netflix show um made in Japan. Mm. Netflix announced that they are going to be having a bevy of foreign television shows on their channel coming up. Why? Because they're losing Warner Brothers, Disney, and anything else going to any other streaming service, plus the uh, delays in production on many different programs, such as mm. their biggest hit, Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. So okay. um, they will be uh, launching a bevy of foreign market programming. They've already started doing that with shows like Dark and um, Demons and uh, Vampire, Werewolf. Um, these are all like foreign market shows. I watched Vampire. Uh, I tried watching Dark. Uh, I hope Juwan's pretty good, so we'll have to see. But uh, he was also in Birdman. He plays a stagehand in Birdman, the uh, Michael Keaton movie. Which oh, okay. Revitalized Michael Cre Michael Keaton's career. Nice. Did okay, you know and he was that? also in Orange Is the New Black as Scott O'Neill. Did never watched it. 
Neither did I, but it's very popular. <laughs> not a fan to watch. Want to watch it? I'm just not a prison person fan. It has nothing to do with the contents of the show. Because someone's like, "Oh, you don't like blah blah blah," and I'm just like, "Well, I don't like you for making that accusation, but I don't like prison shows. I mean, I don't like cop shows either. So I yeah. don't support the police. I, we don't support the police on this show. <laughs> uh, we're not going to get into that discussion. But I like cop shows that have a theme to it, like Grim Bones, Witchblade." Though uh, I Zombie are probably the four only cop shows I've ever watched in my life from beginning to end. Uh, I'd have to say I Zombie and Witchblade are perhaps the only two I have. Although I have, of course, seen uh, SVU because who hasn't? Who hasn't seen an episode of CSI here and there? Uh, but I generally don't like cop shows as well. The actress in this episode, Tracy Waterhouse, who plays Doctor Nelson. Um, the doctor in this episode, right? Yes, she's the one who's taking care of Concobar when he is uh, perhaps going to get surgery for his brain swelling. Right. Um, she was also on iZombie, by the way. Oh, nice. But she was um, Kate Neville, uh, the uh, the doctor in uh, the made-for-TV movie Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Oh, okay. So that was a uh, Marvel attempt at trying to do, uh, you know, trying to do something after the collapse of their company. But a year before, like the same, it's funny, that comes out the same year as Blade. Weird. A lot of people credit Blade as the movie that finally kicked it into gear. But she has like a long comic book career. She was also on Mantis. Mantis was a black superhero show in the 90s, very progressive. Uh, it was about a guy, a rich billionaire in a wheelchair, who uses an exosuit to fight crime. And Mantis himself is played by Carl Lumley, best known as John Jones, the Martian Manhunter of Mars on the Justice League animated series. And uh, the, um, uh, I don't remember his name, but he was on Alias for all five seasons. Um, and she was also on Nightman. She played Ellie in an episode. That was a Marvel Comics TV series that was in syndication. And she was on Witchblade, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, weird, you know, uh, time in the heart, in the comic book industry. So, but uh, but I digress. So uh, yeah, Fight Club. Uh, Danny and Jake decide to get into a Fight Club, which is kind of funny. Uh, they have a fight, a fake fight on the dock, which they actually get some punches into each other. I do love when Jake asks Danny, "What did you? What did you get?" And he says the same thing your mom always makes me. <laughs> Like, after I fucked your mom last night, then she made me dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely one of those jokes. And so so they basically got jobs on the dock to just have this fight and attract the person who's going to invite them to the fight club. And it works. They get invited to the fight club. They start doing their fights. They start winning all their fights until the very last fight, which is Conkabar and Jake. Yeah. How does Conkabar get from being where he was as a musician to being in a fight club? Because in the previous universe, which Sarah has uh, Witchblade-infused memories of, and Conkabar has a um, reincarnation feel to, it yeah. he, he was never involved in any type of fight club or anything like that. Well, he says in this episode that he's been involved with these types of fight clubs for 30 years. Probably not this one, but just in general, because he's a you know fighting type of guy. Even though in the previous season we didn't see any sort of cuts or bruises or him being beaten up, 
it implies that he was doing this all along. And he did say in this episode that he is a musician. It's just we're not seeing that side of him in this episode. Yeah, and he does sing Sarah her song while he's in bed recovering from his brains being beat in. Yeah, you know, when, when Jake says to him at the very end, you know, when Jake says to him, stay down, you know, he should have stayed down. But also Jake really should have taken a dive on that. You know, if before, you know, giving this guy a massive concussion and brain swelling, Jake should have taken the dive because Danny, it, both of them were up for the main prize. So Danny could have still gone on and the mission could have still been accomplished and Conkabar would kind of be more in good health than he is. But that's not the weirdest part of the episode. The weirdest part of the episode is meeting Sarah's doppelganger. Right, which er- is like, okay, and where did they even explain where she comes from? I mean, I know Ian Nottingham has some gibberish about blah, 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 bloodlines, blah, blah, blah. This character version of Ian Nottingham absolutely freaking sucks. I mean, at no point ever in the comic books was Ian Nottingham anyone, any, ever, ever anyone's bitch. He has always been his own character. Yes, he worked for Tennis Irons, but when he finally broke free from Kenneth Irons, he really, the, the writers really developed him as his own character, as you have read, and then later on, mm-hmm. you know, would come back and become a huge powerhouse in the, in the artifact storyline that Ron Mars wrote. Yeah, in this episode, he explains that this character, Ares, is, uh, he, sa- he explains like five generations ago, an ovum split, so there were, it was a set of twins, and then five generations goes down, and she, this doppelganger Ares, has the exact same DNA as Sarah, but she's left-handed, whereas Sarah's right-handed. So Ares is the, the evil Sarah, and Sarah is the good Sarah, and they're both in line for the Witchblade. So the Witchblade can't hurt either of them because they're both destined to be holders of the Witchblade. So I have no idea whether this is a clone and Sarah herself is a clone that's like five generations past. Oh, boy, clones. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I really, they just mucked all of this up. I have no idea what's going on with her other than she's somehow related, period. She somehow has the exact same DNA as Sarah. We don't know how. They really don't explain it. So unless she comes back in the next episode, it's like, wow, this was pointless and I don't care. So. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, this Ares character is kind of involved with the uh, MC from the Fight Club. She's involved with, with Ian Nottingham. Uh, she is a also, hell of a fighter and known by the name Pagan. We also get the ghost of Kenneth Irons every, every so often, including his shadow. Yeah, his shadow talking out of a painting, him standing in a suit of armor, like, it's, it's all over the place, man. <laughs> Where was Lazar? Was he at the Fight Club? He was in the Fight Club scene. Okay. Um, uh, also, which character was Benny? Benny, I think he was one of the uh, other fighters. Okay. Just because he's a character uh, actor um, who um, was in... Uh, okay, I thought he was in Heavy Metal the movie, but he was in a Heavy Metal video game, which I didn't know there was a Heavy Metal video game. Hmm. Yeah, By the way, you know how the best way I'm finding people 
uh, to come on one of my other podcasts is. Wow. Just type their name on Facebook and see if they have a Facebook profile and then just message them. Ah, oh, easy. See if you can comment on a picture of theirs to tell them to go check their private messages. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it seems to be the best way to get a hold of people without having to jump through the hoops of agents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worked for like some of the most obscure people for the Vampire Movie Minute podcast. Very cool. Something we should start doing for War of the Worlds. We're a little late on Witchblade. Not necessarily. We do have one episode left, so maybe we can reach out to somebody in the production on Witchblade. And both should both of us should try and do our homework on that to see if we can get a hold of somebody, including any of these actors. Um, like, we were supposed to have Yancey Butler people on the show at one point, and that completely fell through because of COVID-19. Yeah, COVID's really put a wrench in everything. But if you happen to share, um, you know, uh, friends with someone, maybe... maybe uh, you know, maybe it's possible. Um, I'm actually reaching through the ether of the internet through a friend of mine to find out if her friendship with Yancy Butler is real or not. Like, if they are just, like, casual friends or, hey, are you really good friends with this person? <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, Ian buys from Gabriel Valentino's Shimitar. And that's He's talking about Rudolph Valentino, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of mythos around his scimitar. I looked everywhere online, dived into Rudolph Valentino's life. There wasn't really no pagan or occult elements here, but yet uh, Ian Nottingham gives the scimitar to Ares in order to fight Sarah with it. I don't know what the what the symbolism here is supposed to be, but, uh, yeah, this one is kind of all over the place. But Conkabar and Sarah have that magnetic connection. You know, she sees him from across the room, he sees her from across the room, and they're magnetically attracted to one another. And she keeps getting these flashbacks of the previous, uh, uh, the previous life that she had retconned. By the way, Yancey Butler has a fan page, which is updated as of the 30th of June. Uh, at the top of her page, for 20 bucks, you can get an uh, autographed picture to, directly to you from Yancey herself, uh, not pre-signed. Hmm, cool. For $5 shipping, 20 bucks, any picture of the uh, 22 different pictures that are posted of Yancey as the Witchblade. That's cheaper than you would get it at a con. I believe so, and this is Just from 2019, saying. and it's pinned to the top of the page. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. Do that. <laughs> I am going to totally do that and reach out to her, and uh, she posts the PayPal on there. So if you PayPal with the note, you have to put into the note which picture you want, as well as your address, and then you will get it uh, sent to you. So uh, uh, a way to find Nancy Butler that I we hadn't really thought of until just now. But again, we are still on Witchblade <laughs> for another episode in a couple weeks, so we'll see. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, we do have a special guest coming up for Bill and Ted, which is very interesting because he's essential to the plot line of Bill and Ted. So that will be really great. But uh, I digress on with this episode. She obviously also learned her mistake from Cockabar dying the last time because we have to flash to that. So as soon as she gets mm-hmm. up the Witchblade, she shoots her twin. The Witchblade in the previous episode kind of switched hands. Uh, Sarah voluntarily gave it to um, Bola in order to have Bola kill Lupo with the Witchblade. In this episode, Ares wants the Witchblade, and she keeps and Sarah keeps getting flashbacks of the Irish girl. Can't remember her name at the moment, but uh, Irish girl telling her that she wants the Witchblade before she ran through. 
uh, Conquabar the first time with the spear. Okay, so by the way, so it's uh, the photos are twenty dollars uh, with five dollars shipping and handling. Personalized photos are thirty dollars with five dollars shipping and handling. Still cheaper than getting it at a con. Yes, I I think Mr. Zedek and I will both be getting this. <laughs> so even though Conquabar doesn't really realize that he had shared a previous existence with Sarah. He has this idea that she is so familiar to him. You know, he says, you know, why doesn't it feel that you're a stranger to me? And they both share the same dream that night of his previous death. And they have these very touching moments. But because of the beating that Jake gave him, his brain is swelling and he falls into a coma as she's sitting there. So imagine whether uh, this t- the previous timeline didn't happen he might still have died by being beaten up by someone at this fight club. If it wasn't Jake, it would be someone else. But uh, Conquabar goes and slips into a coma, which gives uh, Ares uh, plenty of time and incentive to steal him away in order for her to try to get the Witchblade from Sarah herself. And Ares ends up shooting Conquabar in the leg anyway. And uh, then Sarah does the same for her, you know, Sarah shoots Ares in the leg. So the very end of the episode is in Nottingham and Sarah both carrying their respective person out from the fighting scene. It's kind of a treaty of sorts. Um. One of the things one of the things I'd like to point out is that uh, when we're talking about what goes on inside the police department and we see the ringleader the mc sitting there and sarah is beating him and she says that uh you know whether dehydration or you know sleep deprivation keep that guy here because and quote because hitting him is not going to work that's one of those you know police brutality moments in wishblade that just seems to be normalized because it's television Yes, definitely. Um, that's pretty much all the notes I have for this episode of, uh, of Witchblade, uh, the second to last episode of the show. That's all the notes I have. Um, I am finding so much information on being, how we're able to contact her, and I'm just like, why? I, it, just, it doesn't come up on Google. I mean, that's the only thing I'm using, but I, I've got her fucking, her agent's got a website oh nice with a phone number and a contact thing and he is the guy on the paypal as well by the way yeah okay his name on the paypal to get the the signed autograph from nancy butler either personalized or just signed cool uh which you think that the signed one would be more the personalized one would be less because you really can't resell a personalized autograph i mean you can if they die but Normally, personalized autographs aren't as high value as in a regular autograph. Yeah, but I think it's about the time and effort that she puts into it. That's why it's more. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Um, I'm definitely going to get the one of the poster, probably because that's the most iconic one where she's got the poster, you know, the, the red one. The mm-hmm. one from the made-for-TV movie. So, all right, let me pause real quick so I know where to edit all this because this is driving me fucking nuts that I found all this. 
that's what I told you. I, I just go to Facebook. Everyone has Facebook or whatever. You know what I mean? If they if they yeah. have, if they have no indication on here that you can't just send them a pleasant professional message on their personal Facebook, uh, then then do that. Otherwise, if they had they have to point out saying, hey, by the way, I have a fan site. Please don't you know please this is only for friends and and family and close friends or whatever. Don't message me here. Then I'll respect those wishes. But I've nailed a couple people or whatever. For the for Radio of Horror and one of my other podcasts, just by messaging them directly on Facebook, be like, "Hey, doing this thing. This is what I want. Can you come on? If you don't, I completely understand. If you don't have anything to do with this or whatever, but I see you're still involved in capacity of this type of market anyway." And the response has usually been yes. So okay, all right. Pause real quick so I know at the end of this so I can do our uh, outro. So again, that's all the time I that's all the notes and time we have here in this episode of the Dead TV podcast. One more episode of Witchblade. We're also going to be talking about a little bit briefly about the anime show. It's the only other media for Witchblade out there. Uh, I tried to have Mark Silvestri on the show, but apparently he's working on a Batman book right now. So and he is an artist. So that is unfortunately not going to happen. And Mark is the editor in chief of Top Cow Productions, and that was according to our friend Matt Hawkins, who came on the show back in season one. We will have a special guest on for our first episode of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, the TV show. So stay tuned for that. Yes, and we'll be back in two weeks or so for the final episode of Witchblade on the Dead TV Podcast. You can find us on the Dead TV Podcast on Facebook, and you can also find us on um, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm on Twitter not Mr. Zeneca as much, but you can basically find any of the coverage of the show through the Radio Horror Twitter, which is at CreaseDSAV. There is not a Dead TV Podcast Twitter. I don't want to make one. But all the Dead <laughs> TV Podcast stuff comes through Radio Horror, so it kind of umbrellas the whole thing. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast, part of the Dorkening Network, with hosts Dr. Chris and Ro Lauren. Twice a month, we will talk about a Hammer Horror film, only the horror movies of the Hammer catalog from the Britain studio from the 60s, 70s, and the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Join us as we not only discuss the film's plotline, but also factoids about the different actors, production crew and behind the scenes facts as well as going over any of the information that happens to be on the Blu-rays or DVDs from these fantastic films. We will be covering classic films from Hammer's catalog, Horror of Dracula, Horror of Frankenstein, Brides of Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, just to name a few. We will also not be shying away from topics like sex, blood, and abuse towards women that many people may think be too taboo to talk about. Join us again twice a month here on the Dorkening Network and check out the rest of the shows on the Dorkening Network. You can find us at ChrisDSAV on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at RoLorn, R-O-L-0-R-E-N.